So we've been here together now for just over a day practicing since arriving yesterday afternoon, entering into this field of silence and stillness. this field of practice and exploration. It's kind of interesting to reflect, I think, at the end of the the first day, or not quite the end of the first full day, how it is for us, what's been going on. I think one of the things when we uh, imagine or make the decision to come on retreat, one of the things we perhaps think about is the sort of the, the image that a, a retreat sort of offers for us of some sort of quiet, peaceful, perhaps idyllic environment in which we can enjoy some calm, peaceful, meditative experience and Sort of perhaps a little bit like, you know, we might have even the fantasy that we're going to be going to some kind of like tropical paradise where it'll be just really blissful, enjoyable. And then somewhere along the line, we, we start to get the sense that maybe this isn't a, a sort of a holiday on a tropical island that we've signed up for, that maybe the island is made a little bit more like Alcatraz. <laughs> it's like we're here, we're stuck here. And sometimes we start to feel, and often not unusual at all on the first day, it's like, actually, I might want to get out of here. In fact, it might feel more than a, a gentle urge. It might feel like, wow, you know, escape. How do I get out of here? And it's, I think, a very interesting thing that occurs for us. It's useful to reflect on. So... What I'd like to reflect on this evening is what we could call the practice of no escape. What does it mean to enter into our experience wholeheartedly? To release ourselves from that urge to want to escape from our experience or our life. To get out of here, so to speak. Because ultimately... There is no way out. And yet we have, I think, most of us, and reinforced by sort of stories and uh, images in our culture, a sense of a, a belief and the possibility of escaping, of somehow that there must be somewhere else to go. And we might even just usefully reflect as in how much of my life have I spent in an attempt to get away from something? How much of my time, my energy, my thinking has been involved in a process of attempting to evade or escape something that we find challenging? Now, of course, there are situations and circumstances where it's appropriate for us to, we could say, remove ourselves from because they may be harmful to us or they may be unwholesome in different ways. But there's a, the kind of, there's a whole different thing that goes on in us, in our hearts, in our minds, when we're operating from an unquestioned principle that there must somehow be somewhere else that's going to be free of this basic struggle, dissatisfaction, discomfort, awkwardness, frustration, irritation, boredom, or whatever else it is that we might encounter that leads us to to wish to move away, to find somewhere else. There is a dimension to human experience that's challenging. And this is something that we see, that we encounter. Perhaps it's not what we advertise on the, on the leaflets when we set up sort of publicity for meditation retreats, you know. Come along, it could be really uncomfortable and really boring and you'll probably want to leave after the first day, but they won't let you. <laughs> of course, we're not quite like that here. 
But what is it to just let ourselves land with, okay, this is my life. You know, it's very easy to start thinking, gosh, how many days is this going to go on for? Has anyone had that thought? You know, seven whole days? Yeah. And maybe we even contemplated how many hours that's going to involve, or how many sittings that's going to... Has anyone worked out how many sittings they're going to have to sit through? Or how many walkings? This, this process of kind of sort of looking towards and conceiving or imagining the, the experiencing of our life in a way in which our response that can arise is one of, oh, I'm not sure if I really want to go through this. And we can notice, and we've maybe, I think, reflected a little already on how sometimes one of the ways we can escape is to sort of a sort of fading away into dullness or sleepiness. It's not the only thing that sleepiness can be, but sometimes it's a way of avoiding. And equally, we can escape into looking for stimulation, entertainment, excitement, you know, something that's going to give us some kind of juice or interest, and we might experience the arising of fantasies about, you know, how our life could wonderfully unfold from here. And I don't know if any of you have had one today, but, you know, it wouldn't be, you wouldn't be the only one if you did, I'm sure. Or we start to figure out how we're going to sort our life out and, you know, what we're going to do next, where we're going to go. Sometimes we just kind of drift away, some kind of more spaced out, sort of dull or fuzzy, sort of not really anything going on but not really quite asleep either sort of place. And that thinking, that analysing, I used to notice my mind would sort of set some kind of maths problem for me to figure out and then I'd do it. And it was like just somehow something to have a way to engage with the experience that was different than just meeting it. And what's interesting, of course, all these activities, we can start to see that they give us some sense of escape or meaning or purpose or movement towards, even if it's just towards having worked out exactly how many, how many days I've spent in meditation in the last five years, which I remember doing on one retreat. You know, actually calculating and working back through all the retreats and all the things I'd done so I knew at the end of it how many days I'd been meditating. It wasn't really any use to me, but it kind of gave a sense of purpose and something to engage in that took me away. But what's interesting is when we notice that we're doing that, and perhaps you've noticed, uh, perhaps you're not doing it, or perhaps you haven't noticed, and we can never know if we haven't noticed, can we? Um, but what's interesting is when we do notice that, often there's a sense also of, of kind of not wanting that to be going on. Like So we notice our distraction tendencies, whether towards fantasy or towards planning or towards, you know something such as I described. And then often in the sense of, oh no, I don't want this to be happening either. I don't want to be here being somebody who's lost in this story or this thought or this fantasy. And so just looking at how we are, to see ourselves with compassion in this situation, it's really important that we see ourselves with compassion. There's something that until we learn to be at ease with our life and in our life and in our experience, till we learn to be at ease, we're almost habitually, unconsciously or consciously, but compulsively pushing away or pulling away from what's happening. And we're looking for something else so much of the time. You know, have you observed yourself going back to the notice board to read the schedule again? You know, it's so interesting, isn't it? It says sitting, walking, standing, and then there's a meal, and then some more sitting or standing and walking. Then it happens again. We get to the bottom. Hmm, that was really interesting. I'll read it again. You know, it's like somehow something like that offers us the hope of something different than just being with our experience. Or the, the remarkable interest we can take in the label of a tea bag. Have any of you read the labels on the tea bags? Or the tea bag box? Things we would never consider reading in most circumstances. But here, because all of that world of kind of entertaining our minds is taken away from us, we find, at least some of us, draw, find ourselves drawn to that. 
the world of language is one of our primary refuges, one of the ways in which we seek to escape from the, the direct contact with our life. And we can also often notice the sense of wanting someone to do it or some, someone to kind of help me, save me, you know, whether it be the Buddha or whether it be the teacher or whether it be somebody. There's, there's, there's a strong, it's almost like archetypal thing in us that we kind of, not just do we want to escape, but we want someone to help us escape. And I, I remember teaching a retreat in Sweden some years ago and um, when a, a small group meeting was about to begin, I went to the bathroom in this... Uh, in this cottage, and I managed to lock myself in with the key, and the key wouldn't unlock the door anymore. And there was this thing of wanting to call out, could some, you know, like help? I need to escape. It wasn't I, that wasn't the word, but like, could someone help me here? But I was really aware, despite this urge to call out, that I had the key, and the key was it was actually in the lock. I couldn't get it out, and I couldn't turn it, and there was really no way anyone on the other side of that space was going to be able to help in this situation, unless perhaps they might bash the door down. But again, that welling up of that sense of get me out of here, I need to get out of here. And the way we often kind of look to someone else to help us, to fix, to resolve that situation. So this plays out also in the realm of the spiritual world, spiritual practice. We can sometimes think or imagine that practice is to do with escaping in some way, transcending, going beyond this you know, kind of rather wearying and tiresome and at times uncomfortable world. We can have some idea that spiritual practice is about going to some really, you know, comfortable place in the clouds or wherever we might imagine it to be. And even within the, you know, the the world of Buddhist meditation, we sometimes hear the sort of dismissal of the world as it's just an illusion. Which the Buddha never said, incidentally. Very clear. He said the world can be like an illusion, which it fools us in a certain way. We get tricked by how things appear. That doesn't mean the world is an illusion. And we're not trying to go somewhere else here. But even the very language, when we talk about seeking freedom, and we do, it can, again, evoke a sense of escaping from something. Well, that there's something we need to escape from. So we're asked to reflect on, to consider, what is this experience? It's a common, it's a shared, it's a universal human experience. To find this sense of kind of being bound. That somehow we feel constrained or limited or enmeshed, entangled in the very material of our life, the very stuff of our journey, somehow seems to entangle us. And so because of that experience, it's very easy and understandable that we might then have the sense of, you know, get me out of here. How do I get rid of all this stuff? Can I make it all calm down so it goes away? And often that's kind of the orientation we can bring to meditation practice. It's like, I want it to all calm down. I want it to go away. And then things will be peaceful and sweet and lovely and, mm, you know, it would be nice, wouldn't it? It's really understandable that we might wish for that. But in terms of the basic reality of our existence, there isn't a way out of it. And Dharma teachings and meditation practice isn't a way out of the experience. It's not a way out of the way things are. And to contemplate, what if this was it? This experience that we have here and wherever we are, that's how it is. It might seem a little sort of, oh dear, that's not the answer I was hoping for. And yet at another level, there's something something really important here to settle with. Because that's not the whole or the end of the story. But there's a, a place in which 
what we see is this movement of trying to get to somewhere else, of trying to escape from our experience, or trying to avoid being impacted by the challenging dimensions of life. That so long as we're engaged in that process, we're constantly attempting to get rid of one thing by the pursuit of another. We're trying to get away from one place by getting to another place. That's the only way we can do it in those terms. And yet, somehow it doesn't seem to work. Because wherever we go, the same thing arises. Whatever we manage to replace this thing that I want to escape from, whatever we manage to replace it with, turns out to be subject to the same limitations. And this was one of the the recognitions, the realizations that struck the Buddha in his life, before his awakening, before his spiritual journey had even begun. But just seeing and contemplating the world and realizing that, oh, actually doesn't make sense for me to keep looking for a different version of the same thing. So this practice invites us to look at how we're living our lives. It's not just a kind of a meditative technology that we apply and then suddenly everything is miraculously transformed. Again, that would be nice if that was the case. I'm sure we could sell lots of tickets if it worked that way. But this, if we're not conscious, if we're not awake to our life, it can become just a series of escapes, moving from one thing to the next, seeking a way out. And we might, you know, come to a retreat, understandably, looking for an escape from the busyness, the craziness of our lives, the fullness of the demands and the responsibilities and the pressures and all that goes on. And we think, oh, go on a retreat, there won't be any of that, there'll be nothing to do. Great, I could really do with having nothing to do. You know? Who doesn't have that feeling in their life? I can certainly recognize it at times. And yet, then we come on a retreat where there is nothing to do. And how long do we really enjoy having nothing to do? You know, how long does it take us before we start to think, well, after the retreat, I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do this? And all that doing stuff starts to look good again from this side. And the idea of having nothing to do for seven days? Or eight days? It's like, what? And within the microcosm of it, as we come looking more specifically at the detail of what happens so much of the time, you know, it can be in the sitting. And we get there and it's, you know, it's okay, or it's even good sometimes, maybe, in terms of we feel settled or steady. But even if it feels kind of not so easy, even at the beginning of the sitting, we can sort of settle in and we're here for a while. Then at some point, what happens? It's sort of the sense of, well, you know, is it over yet? When's the bell going to ring? Those guys at the front falling asleep? You know, we're kind of waiting for the end. And what happens? You know, it's like we're looking forward to going and doing some walking meditation. Really, we are. It's like, great, I get to go up and I go do some walking. Then after five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes of walking meditation, and it's still just walking back and forth, going nowhere. It's like, I start to look forward to the sitting. It's like, great, I can do a sitting. It's the real meditation after all, isn't it? But you see how there's this movement of, it's not quite here, it's got to be there. Even if I was there half an hour ago and didn't want to be there, that movement keeps expressing itself. And we see it again and again. Even this afternoon, standing in the sun, and it's sort of lovely, the warmth. And then maybe it gets a little too hot. And it's like, oh, maybe I'm going to, do I need sun cream? You know, that's actually quite sharp. And we start to, again, move into that mode that's looking for some kind of resolution to a situation by moving away, by adjusting, by fixing it. So here, 
on the retreat, we have this opportunity. And it's something that we've chosen, remarkably and nobly, in fact. Perhaps we might not quite realise if this is the first time we're doing this kind of a retreat, that we've chosen this. And in a kind of interesting and ironic way, even if we've done retreats like this before, we might not have quite realised that we were choosing this because we might not have remembered that particular aspect of the retreat. And again, it's one of those fortunate things which um, enables us to come back into a situation that at some level we might not have chosen because it's hard. And yet there is something, something profoundly noble about choosing to place ourselves in a circumstance that isn't entirely easy or comfortable. And just see, can I stay here with this? Can I stay? Or even if I find myself having unconsciously or unintentionally departed, can I come back? Can I reconnect with this experience, with where I am? Can we allow ourselves to be touched by the moments of discomfort or the moments of boredom or the moments of irritation that might arise? It's interesting how we talk about having a silent retreat, but actually it's not that silent, is it? People move, make sounds with their bodies intentionally or unintentionally. And, you know, it's like, it can impact us. And there's a, there's a very interesting thing that goes on where we kind of set out a framework for being together. And then, of course, there's ways in which around the edges it's not always quite so. And it's interesting to see what we do with that. So like we ask, and it's important that you know, we arrive on time and with the sitting beginning so that we can kind of settle together. And we really, you know, it's really supportive for everyone that we make an effort with regard to that. And sometimes, of course, someone's coming in a little late, noticing our responses to that. Like, we might think the sound is distracting me. But often it's our reaction to the sound that's actually what's causing the distraction or the suffering. And likewise with the sounds that we might make, coughing, sneezing, breathing. It's really supportive for everyone, that we, so far as we're able, contain that noise-productive activity, but so far as it's not contained for ourselves, you know, it's not possible to get the world to be quiet. It just doesn't happen. The quieter we get, the more we notice the really quiet things. You know? I remember they built a really wonderful new... um, wing in a retreat centre in America, Insight Meditation Centre, where I teach, and everyone had a really lovely room, and it was all really beautiful and so, so quiet. And then people started getting really annoyed by the noise of the latch on the bathroom that went click when you closed it. And then signs started appearing, please close it quietly. And it's like, you know, there's no end to that. There's no end to that. So we, we, we have the opportunity also to notice our sensitivity, our reactivity. We can't control the world. We can't control our reactivity either. But we don't have to give energy to it. We can actually start to, again, compassionately, because it's painful, it's difficult for us, compassionately just, oh, okay, can I breathe with this experience? Can I breathe with this reaction, with this sound? And in that way, we start to discover that we have a greater capacity to receive this life than we might have imagined. The the movement of seeking to get away from, to fix, to adjust, you know, it goes on and on and on and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And ultimately unsuccessful. We can adjust or, it seems, escape our circumstances for a little while. 
at times. But we can't escape our minds. By definition, wherever we go, whatever circumstances we create, the patterns of our hearts, our minds and our lives will be there with us. And so here there's an opportunity to turn towards what it is that's moving in us that makes it difficult to be here. To not imagine or assume that it's the things outside or what comes in, even the thoughts that come in, aren't in themselves what makes it difficult to be here. Much as we might wish for a calm, clear, quiet experience. It's the way we react with the wanting of one thing or the rejecting of another. That's actually where the suffering is. And that's what can be transformed. So this practice isn't about escaping, but about unconditionally engaging with our life. Unconditionally, which means not placing conditions on our willingness to meet what's here. And that doesn't mean, of course, that there aren't at times those experiences where we might recognize that the intensity or the strength of what we're encountering, whether it be physical sensations, a pain in the knee or an ache in the shoulder, or whether it might be something that's quite emotionally charged, where we might recognize that actually the intensity of this isn't something that right now it's useful for me to engage with. If we notice we're tightening or shutting down, either physically or emotionally, that then it's useful to make some adjustment with the body or make some adjustment with the attention where we turn our attention to something that's not so charged or that's not impacting us so strongly. And that's a very different thing than escaping or running away from. It's actually a compassionate response born of allowing ourselves to open to what's here, but also recognizing that sometimes what's useful is to just give it space and thereby give ourselves space. The difference is, rather than turning away and heading for something else, i.e. turning our back on the experience, whether physical or emotional, it's much more like we back off. So we're still facing what's happening. We say, okay, well, here's a really strong experience. Not sure actually it's okay or useful, even possible for me to meet this right now, but I'm just going to back off a bit, give a bit of room, but stay in contact rather than depart or lose contact with where we are. And it's a really important distinction. We're not somehow going into battle against our experience to subdue it in such a way that then I'll sit here without moving through whatever comes. That's not so helpful. But there are those experiences where it is helpful for us to say, oh, you know, when my nose feels a little itchy, I don't have to itch it. It's really interesting, you know. Itchy nose will do us no harm, but the urge to scratch that thing, sometimes it's like, wow. And yet to see that if we just let it be, eventually it goes away. And if we scratch it, do it mindfully. Notice, wow, I'm compelled to have to respond to this. Itchy nose. Again, with compassion for oneself, for one's limitations, but also with interest to see what's happening. One of the things that goes on is that we, we tend to try and extend our comfort zone. We're only comfortable in a relatively narrow band of experience. This is what it means to be a human being, to have a body. You know, the comfortable temperatures that we might enjoy range between, you know, maybe about 18 and 25 degrees centigrade. That's comfortable for most of us. Now, if it gets much hotter than 25, it starts to feel hot. Much less than 18, it feels a bit cold. have to put clothes on, take clothes off. You know, we can get to minus 273 centigrade at the cold end of things. That's really cold. And it can get to, in the positive end of things, you know, hundreds and thousands of degrees centigrade in the core of the sun. Are we comfortable in just this little bit in the middle? 
And so we spend a lot of time, just how much time we spend just trying to keep our body temperature comfortable. You know? And it's, there's a reason for it, of course, because at the core of our body, we only have a range of three or four degrees max from the around 37 degrees where we actually are well. And if it gets more than a few degrees above or below that, it's fatal. So, of course, we're concerned with this. It's appropriate. We're concerned with it. But I think it's useful to reflect on to say, oh, wow. You know, first of all, it's really fortunate we turned up here because this particular planet is about the right temperature. You know, there's a lot of other places out there that just wouldn't have worked. But also understanding the sensitivity of the human being. That's just temperature. So many other things similarly. And the effort and the energy we put into trying to keep ourselves comfortable. And here on the retreat, we can have the sense of, you know, okay, how do I get comfortable here? How do I get comfortable? One of the useful things about a retreat when we find ourselves in a situation like this for the first time is that it's not so easy to get comfortable. Now, this isn't because discomfort is good in itself necessarily, but because we start to see something about what goes on here. And one of the reasons why sometimes people, after having done several retreats, Report not feeling it quite as powerfully transformative. Not, this isn't always the case, but one of the reasons it can be is that sometimes we've learned how to get comfortable. We know that if we just have that extra bit of sleep at this time of the afternoon, we won't have to feel drowsy in the sitting and face that experience. Or if we have a really big cup of sugary, milky tea at this point in the day, it'll help us stay awake or make us sort of not have to face something. We kind of learn those things. And so we have an opportunity to stretch ourselves here a little bit. To become aware if there are ways in which we're trying to just sort of, again, reenact that seeking for comfort. And see, what is it to meet our life in its simplicity as it is? It doesn't mean we have to somehow give away all the cushions and mats and we're going to you know, make it really uncomfortable. Not suggesting that. But what would it be to give up on that that inner orientation, that inner fantasy of escape, of the idea that there's somewhere else we can get to? That's in any way fundamentally different than the experience that's right here. One thing that's useful to notice, of course, is that urge to want to get away from difficult experiences is often driven by a sense of projecting or imagining the experience extending in time into the future. And it's like, you know, it's like I'm not sure I can cope with it if it continues like this, so I want to get away from it. I want to move away from something. It's always useful just to check out, is it okay just now? Just for now? As I said, sometimes there are those things which we do need to attend to, to make some adjustment in relationship to, with our body or with our attention. But often it's the sense of the projection into the future that generates so much of the difficulty for us in being able to just experience what's here and stay with what's here. So there is a dimension of escape, we could say, in practice, that we can free ourselves from our belief, the belief in our limitation, from our identification with that which is limited. We can free ourselves from this. And in this there is a release. But not because the experience goes away. But through a shift in our orientation to it. 
and a shift in the significance we give it. When we meet an experience where we feel like I can't do this, what it often means, not always, again, but what it often means is actually, I don't want to. Because it's hard, because it's difficult, because I'd really rather be able to curl up and just be cosy and, you know, not have to work hard in my life or in my practice. But that sense of I can't, it's often kind of revealing that there's some way in which we don't quite trust our capacity. And maybe when we were young, our capacity wasn't fully developed. In fact, for sure, when we were young, our adult capacity isn't fully developed. By definition, that's how it is. And so that experience of not being able to handle what we might encounter may have been real for us. But as adults, so much more is possible for us. And that unconscious habit of escaping, of trying to move away, or get away, is often premised on a belief that I can't stay here. I can't be here if this difficult thing is here. It's either it goes away or I go away. And yet, there's much more space here than we imagine for the difficult or challenging experience and equally at the same time for ourselves to be present with the experience and to be present with ourselves. And this is one of the really important things that we start to learn here. This is an immense gift to ourselves to start to see this more fully, more clearly. That, oh, actually it is possible for me, for you, for each of us, for every human being, in fact. If we're willing to do the the patient and loving work of just putting ourselves here and bringing ourselves back Again and again. Seeing no matter how many times we leave, how many unconscious departures and escapes take place. And there might even be a few more conscious ones where we really know, oh yeah, this is what I'm doing. I really don't want to have to do any more meditation. I'm going to have a cup of tea and have a nice little you know, meditation holiday. Sometimes we do that. Whatever it is, however it happens... As we start to see it unfolding and realize we can come back, we can reconnect, there's a slow growing, a developing, a building of trust. A trusting in the capacity of our hearts, our minds, our life, to actually meet and to embrace this that we're encountering right here. to trust in our capacity to receive our life, even what might be really challenging elements of it that we need to handle skillfully and slowly and gently and compassionately, but nonetheless learn to handle. That this life that we learn to receive, this is what awakens us. We're not walking a path that takes us out of this. This journey takes us more deeply into it. Into our life. Into our heart. With its tenderness. And its woundedness. And equally its joyfulness and its beauty. This is our journey. There isn't another one somewhere else. If we could really escape to somewhere else, we wouldn't find it to be a place we want it to be. So in one sense, the fact that there is no escape isn't bad news. Because ultimately, there is no thing we need to escape from. The very sense of what 
our hearts might be drawn towards, what we might yearn for in the depths of our, our very human beingness. We might talk about in those terms. And the Buddha, again, in his teachings, he, you know, he, he talked about deliverance. That there is this possibility of transformation. But not by getting away from. Instead, through an unconditional dissolving into our life. Going into it so fully that we no longer hold ourselves apart from it. So it's no longer something that's happening to me. And that I might wish to choose this or avoid that. That doesn't mean, of course, that we don't make conscious and skillful and important choices about what we want to develop, what we want to cultivate, what we want to orient towards. And there are elements of that in everything that we're doing here, choosing to pay attention, choosing to bring a quality of kindness to meet our experience or ourselves so far as we're able to be interested in our experience, to explore our life. All this, of course, these are things we can cultivate, we can develop, but they all serve by bringing us closer to our life. And the discovery that liberates us the discovery that starts to transform what it means to be alive, what it means to be what we are, is to see that this sense of struggle or suffering we might encounter in life that leads to the need or the belief and the feeling of wanting to escape, it's born out of some idea that we are fundamentally separate from, disconnected from, or apart from life. And the very movement of trying to get away from experience reinforces that sense of separation. And the sense that the experiences that we don't wish for are somehow unwelcome. And that it's appropriate for us to try and get away from them. And so that whole sense of separation also holds out the hope of escape. It's like feeling separate from is actually deeply painful. And yet at the same time, there's a way in which because we have the idea that we're separate, then we can get away. And they kind of go together. But in truth, there is no such separation at an essential level of what is most true. There is nowhere to escape to. No one who needs to escape from all of this. And yet, for our human life and experience, we need to understand what does that mean for me, for where we are. What is it that allows us to stay present? With those moments that are sweet and lovely. Those moments that are difficult or challenging. And probably our days have had a mixture of both and some that are neither one nor the other. What is it that allows us to stay here with all of this? When we end the sittings, I find myself often moved to just take a moment to bring my hands together. An expression in, our, in the Buddhist tradition of, of appreciation, of gratitude, and of respect. And it's something about really taking a moment to appreciate and to honour what's being done, what we're doing here, to choose to sit and be here in the midst of our life. And even if our minds don't stop escaping, we've made the choice and the commitment to have our body stay here so it doesn't follow that mental track so quickly as it might otherwise do. It's something quite simple, deceptively so, and challenging, of course, you already know that. And it's something profoundly noble and powerful 
to just say, okay, I'm here for this, which is our life. This deliverance, this freedom that we seek is not born of escaping from our experience and yet nor somehow apart from our experience nor yet dependent upon it but much more how it is we come to meet how it is we understand what it is that's happening and our, our practice and our journey here is very much about deepening that understanding of what's happening and deepening this capacity to just meet our life, to see it, to feel it, to be touched by it and to respond to it again with care, with interest and with this, this quality of presence that has an openness to it, that allows, that makes room for what is here. As we become, or as we, as we learn and develop our capacity to not push away so quickly at those things we find challenging, to not pull towards or try and get hold of so much those things that we think may be what we want or need, that we think will resolve our challenges. Or that. As we start to let go, of those kind of primary reactivities of craving for or rejecting other expressions of our experience. There's a, a way in which we might start to, to sense or to recognize that what's here is our curriculum, that this is our journey, that our experience is it's the grist for the mill. And that we can honour that. We can honour ourselves in that. And that what's here can be the vehicle for the, for the meeting and the, for the fulfilling of the deepest longing of our hearts to wake up in our lives beyond the struggle with things that will never be perfect because that's not their job. To let things be really simple, immediate, and to open to this again and again. This is our practice and a noble practice, indeed. Poet David White writes, he says, Enough. These few words are enough. If not these words, this breath. If not this breath, this sitting here. Opening to the life we have refused again and again until now. And so let's sit here for a few moments together, opening to this life.
So may we all, in our practice here together, and in our lives, may we come to trust more and more deeply in our capacity to meet this experience and this life as it is. To know deeply that we can be right here in the midst of it, no matter what it brings. And open again and again to just this for our own welfare and for the welfare of all beings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.